Dear class, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Going to begin reading in verse 4 and read down through verse 13 as we continue in our series through Ephesians, as we continue in our series, uh, our Membership Explore course, simultaneously with our series in Ephesians, we are in the session, in the reading for the course, the session on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see this morning that there is much about the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians, Uh, and so let us read, beginning in verse 4 down through verse 13. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, and what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And may the Lord bless the reading and preaching of, of his word. In, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, we have the historical account of when the ascended Lord that we just read of here first gave gifts that we just read of here to the church. And in Acts chapter 2, God says, in these last days, that phrase last days is a biblical phrase, meaning the time, the period of time between the ascension of Jesus up into heaven after his resurrection and the return of Jesus from heaven on that great and glorious day. And God says, in these last days, from the day of the ascension all the way to the day of Christ's return, in these last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy and see visions and dream dreams, and they will prophesy. We believe that we are in the last days. We believe that we are in that period of time that started way back then. It continues today and will continue until Jesus returns. And we believe as a church that this means that this outpouring of the Spirit that first started on the day of Pentecost continues to this day for the giving of gifts to the church, including prophecy and visions and dreams. 
and many other things as well. A few years ago, Gaylene had a dream. It was a very vivid dream that woke her from a deep sleep and it filled her with a sense of concern and even some fear. In the dream, there were very clear signals, very clear tones that some kind of dark evil and influence was going to try to attack our home and our family. And in the dream, there was one particular face that appeared. It was a mysterious face that she had never seen before, but one that filled her with a sense of concern. It was a face marked by malice and a kind of subtle, attacking, poised-to-attack look right outside our home, almost demonic in appearance. And when she awoke, she told me about it, and we talked about it, and prayed about it, and shared it with a few folks in our church so that they would be praying as well, and then we just let it go, waited to see what might happen. And a few weeks later, a man came into our lives whom we had never met before. And when Galen saw this man's face, she said, that is the person who was in my dream. We were careful not to judge the man. In fact, I went out of my way to befriend him and encourage him and minister to him and help him. But we did exercise a certain measure of caution. It did make us aware to pray all the harder, in particular, for our children and for any influence that he might have in their lives. And as it turned out, he became an active force for evil in one of our children's lives. He actively, aggressively undermined our parenting role in one of our son's life. He actively, aggressively encouraged our son to run away from home in the tyranny of his parents. We thank God that he forewarned us that the dreaming of dreams and the seeing of visions is not a thing of the past. But God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We, I share that not to freak you out. It's a little, little strange. I share it so that we will realize Acts 2 lives on. This is the age of the Spirit. In our Explore material, there is a session called The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. A whole session just on the Holy Spirit. Because here at Risen Hope, we believe that in Scripture, there is a prominent place given to the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in the book of Ephesians, there is a prominent place given to the Holy Spirit. He is referred to time and again throughout this book. In chapter 4, he is said to be the third person of the Trinity, God, eternal and unchangeable. In chapter 1, the Holy Spirit seals us in our salvation. In chapter 1, the Holy Spirit guarantees our eternal inheritance. In chapter 3, the Holy Spirit inspires the apostolic scriptures. In chapter 4, the Holy Spirit calls us to faith through the new birth. In chapter 3, the Holy Spirit secures us in God's love. The Holy Spirit sanctifies our character. He is, after all, the Holy Spirit. 
And His work is to make us holy. The Holy Spirit unites us in the body. Chapter 4 and verse 4. The Holy Spirit fills our worship. Chapter 5. Be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer. Ephesians 6 and verse 18. All of these are aspects of the Spirit's work in our lives. And they indicate to us that for the Apostle Paul, the person and work of the Spirit was not a side note or a footnote. It was something, the Spirit was someone about whom Paul thought and for whom Paul prayed day after day after day. The work and person of the Spirit was central in many ways to the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And to us as well. Or so at least we long for it to be. We could spend weeks and months preaching on this. And we could spend a week on each of those texts that I just referenced for the, per the work of the Spirit. Uh, we don't have time for all of that, but we do feel the need to, to focus this morning on one more aspect of the Spirit's work, and that it is that He gifts us for service or for ministry, which is what the text that I read to you earlier is about. In verse 7 of chapter 4, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this is referring to Jesus. Jesus who, it says later, descended to the lower regions of the earth Friends, that's talking about the fact that Jesus left his throne in glory, came to earth, became a man, became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross, to bear the full wrath and punishment for our sins. That is going to the very depths. That is going as low as you can go. He who went to the depths of humiliation and suffering, he was raised from the dead, he ascended up on high, and he gave gifts to men. The picture here, the image here, is of a triumphant conqueror who has gone out to battle. He has defeated the enemy. He's collected the spoils of victory. He is proceeding back to his throne, and along the way, he's giving gifts He's giving gifts, the triumphant Lord giving gifts to his church. Now what we know from the rest of scripture is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord, gives these gifts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he pours out that spirit on us. So we're going we're gonna to talk about these gifts a bit this morning, not because they are more important than other aspects of the Holy Spirit's work, but because they are more misunderstood than other aspects of the Spirit's work and, and a bit more controversial than other aspects of His work. So as we begin, let me, let me make sure that you notice that there are other listings of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. In Romans 12, Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And Paul goes on to talk about the gift of prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leading, and mercy. Those are all gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, 
feet. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered or are worked powerfully by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then later on in 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So later he writes, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And finally, so my brothers earnestly desire earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. In this text, we learn that spiritual gifts are they're spirit-prompted and spirit-enabled and spirit-empowered and spirit-sustained and spirit-blessed abilities and ministries that he gives to each individual believer, each of which manifests the right here and now presence of God. The empowering activity of God goes on in his church as these gifts are manifested and exercised. What a difference that makes in perspective on church. The church is the place, as it does life together, as we do life together, we are the place where God encounters human beings. The presence and power of the Spirit of God meets us through our spiritual gifts. And God is glorified and we are edified in that experience. So we, need to, we want to think about this. We need to think about this. We get to think about this this morning. So, when thinking about all biblically defined and governed spiritual gifts, here's my summary statement. Thinking about all biblically defined and governed spirit gifts, we should not just be open but cautious. We should be eager, pursuing, and discerning. There are some who deny some of the gifts. I used to be among them. There are others who are open but very, very cautious about the gifts. You may be among those. But we believe that when thinking about all biblically defined and governed spirit gifts, we should not just be open but cautious. We should be eager pursuing and discerning. We're talking about all the gifts. We do believe they all continue, which makes us, in theological jargon, continuationists. 
I don't know who the great theological mind was that came up with. All right, the gifts continue. Uh, what's a fancy term we can call it? Oh, we're continuationists. Uh, we can do better than that, I think, I hope. Uh, more commonly called charismatics from the Greek word charis and charisma, meaning gift. Actually prefer that term, except for all the baggage that comes with it, uh, because there are so many excesses and abuses in so many charismatic circles. And yet it is, I think, the more biblical term. It's the, it's the term that captures the essence of what we're talking about. But we believe that all the gifts continue today, and we should not be just open and cautious, we should be eager and pursuing and discerning. Now, because there are those who don't believe some of the gifts continue and others who are very open but cautious, it may be helpful to take some time to answer the question, why do we believe the gifts continue? might be particularly helpful for me to answer that question because there was a time when I believed they hit, some of them had ceased which made me what? If a person believes that these things continue, he's a continuationist. Someone believes that they have ceased, he is a cessationist. Brilliant stuff there. You know. But I was, I was a hardcore cessationist. I preached against certain gifts, the gifts of miracles and healing and tongues and prophecy. I just didn't believe these things happened today, and I preached against them. And, and you know, there were, there, were, there were reasons for that, at least in my mind. I, I had concerns and fears. I, I had seen some weird television preachers, and it turned me off. I, had, I, had, I was worried about people's tendencies to obsess about the gifts and to give them a prominence that the Bible nowhere gives them. I was concerned about how too much focus on the gifts in many places had led many people to neglect a careful, thorough study of the Word of God. It seemed to me that I was seeing too many people threaten the role of the Bible as the highest and final authority of their lives, choosing rather to follow dreams or words of knowledge and the rest. I'd seen how those who believe in gifts seem so very often to have a tendency toward emotionalism and very often to be anti-theological in their approach to the Christian life. I had seen how things that did not seem to be tongues or prophecy or healing, biblically defined, were being called tongues and prophecy and healing. I had seen those who believed in these things often seemed vulnerable to such heresies as the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. I had seen how the gifts were practiced with an apparent ignorance of or even worse an indifference to the biblical guidelines as to how they were supposed to be practiced. I had seen all this stuff and it all troubled me and so largely affected by fear on the one hand and a sincere regard for the Word of God on the other hand, I just drew the conclusion some of these things have ceased. But there was a problem with the conclusion. The Bible didn't teach it. 
And as I began to rethink and restudy, I, I found, much to my surprise, that there, there, I don't mean to be glib or surface about this, but it's just true, I believe, there's not a single place in the Bible that gives us any hint that these spiritual gifts are going to end or cease until the perfect comes, the face-to-face -face encounter that awaits us with Jesus Christ. Then the partial will be done away with. And I realized that much of my reason for being a cessationist was born out of fear rather than faith. And the Lord began to stir me and affect me and lead me through a transition. And there was a time when I put down on paper a list of nine reasons why I am now a continuationist. And I would give them all to you this morning, but it would overdose you and you would plunge into the sleep of death here this morning. <laughs> and then we would have to have a gift of miracles to raise you from the dead. <laughs> and I don't quite have that much faith yet, so we better somehow restrain ourselves here. And let me see if I can do this simply. Why are we, why am I, why are we as a church continuationist? Why do we believe that all of these gifts continue today? I think we can find a short answer in the text. Verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, he gave gifts to men. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now notice it. The risen and ascended Lord has given gifts by His Spirit to equip us for ministry until what happens? Until or up to the point when we all attain the unity of the faith and we all attain the knowledge, the Greek word literally means the full knowledge of the Son of God and until we all attain mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What that means is that the gifts are given to create in all of us a perfect faith, a complete knowledge of Christ, and an absolute flawless likeness to Christ. Which, and I'm going out on a limb here, I'm making a bold claim, hasn't happened yet. Look in the mirror. Perfect faith hasn't happened yet. Perfect unity hasn't happened yet. Full knowledge of Jesus hasn't happened yet. Full likeness to Christ hasn't happened yet. And so, if the gifts are given to help us achieve these goals, 
and the goals are not yet achieved, then we have every reason to believe, unless the Bible tells us otherwise, which it doesn't, we have every reason to believe that the gifts will continue so long as the goal remains unachieved. The gifts will continue until, up to the point when, we all attain. Verse 13. By the way, when will that be? On that day, when the perfect comes, when the face-to-face encounter with Jesus happens, in that moment, all our weak faith, all our incomplete knowledge, all our flawed and imperfect likeness to Christ will be swallowed up in the vision of His glory and His beauty. And we shall be changed and we shall know even as we are known. And faith will, will get swallowed up in reality. Until then, These gifts which are designed to lead us to greater faith and greater knowledge and greater maturity must certainly continue. For there is still work to be done in our lives. And we need these gifts. Now, now to make sure that we we are getting this clearly, let me me put it to you in in these terms. There There are three specific Goals and purposes of the spiritual gifts. Here here are the three specific goals. To verify the truth of Christ. To edify the church of Christ. And to glorify the name of Christ. Those Those are the three primary goals of the spiritual gifts. To verify the truth of Christ. Edify the church of Christ. Glorify the name. Of Christ. Let's, let's look at each of them briefly here this morning. First, to verify the truth of Christ. That is, the truth of His existence, the truth of His presence, the truth of His gospel. One of the reasons the spiritual gifts are given, especially the more visibly and obviously miraculous gifts, is to verify, or for doubters, for unbelievers, to verify the existence and presence of Jesus among His people and to confirm the truth of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 14, we read, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When miraculous things happen, when the gift of prophecy is exercised and things that only God could know about a person are revealed, somebody who... who delivers that prophetic word, that person who receives the word will know God had to tell him this. God is in this place. And this is this kind of experience, whether prophecy or healings or miracles, these were the kinds of things that the early church prayed for. 
in Acts chapter 4. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, the early church, they prayed for this. It's part of what it means to earnestly desire. You're going to start praying for it. They said, Lord, give us boldness in our witness. We want to tell the world the truth about Jesus Christ regardless of the consequences in our lives. But Lord, as we do this, will you please give us healings and power and glory and signs and wonders so that when the word is falls on people's ears, it will fall verified by the miraculous. In these last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I believe that to this day, God uses miraculous gifts to overcome weak faith, to overcome false faith, to overcome non-faith in people's lives. There are those who say, well, we don't need this today. We We just have the Bible. Let's preach it, and it will be its own power. Well, These were the apostles, folks. These were people who actually saw the risen Christ. These were people who had far more privilege and opportunity in some ways than we have. We are far removed from the apostles who actually walked and talked on the earth. We are far removed from the resurrection. We are far removed from the miracles of of Jesus' life. If they needed, then do we not need? I believe we do. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a powerful but very cautious advocate of these things. But he argued in this way back in the 20th century. He said, what is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God. Some enactment of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen. When God acts, He can do more in a minute than man can do in 50 years. Today, we are confronted by manifestations of the powers of evil and the reality of evil spirits. It is not merely sin that is constituting a problem today. There is also a resurgence of the powers of darkness. This is why I believe we are in urgent need of some manifestation, some demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us pray for this. Let us long for this, that our witness might be empowered. That there would be prophetic words. That there would be healings. That there would be miracles. That there would be wonders done for the glory of God and to verify His Word. It is happening today. There are people in this room who at bridge retreats were unbelievers And they were present when those gifted with prophecy began to speak. And those gifted began to share with them as unbelievers some of the secrets of their hearts. I've seen the tears of the effect of that on many. Compelled some verification of the truth of Christ. There's others in this room. I know of one who was compelled to take God seriously because her husband was miraculously healed of a disease. 
Ravi Zacharias, many of you will know that name. He, his ministry tells the story about a pastor and wife who were traveling in Iran. And in Iran, they were distributing Bibles as they went. And they came upon this store with Bibles in their car. And there at the corner of the store was an Iranian soldier complete with turban and machine gun. And the wife said to her husband, I believe the Lord wants you to give him a Bible. The husband responded, paraphrasing, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> now, now, I don't sense the Lord leading that way. She said, yes, you're supposed to do it. She no, I'm not being led. But he got out of the car, went in the store, grabbed the Bible, went in the store, came out of the store, got back in the car, drove off, and the wife says to him, you didn't give him the Bible, did you? He said, no. The wife started to pray. These are her words. Father, if that man ever stands before you on judgment day without hearing the gospel, please know that his blood is not on my hands. <laughs> I, I dare any man to, to stand up to that. So he turns around. Suddenly feeling led. <laughs> goes back, goes up to the soldier, hands the soldier a Bible, and the soldier begins to weep and says, three days ago, God told me in a dream to come to this place and someone would give me the book of life. Stories like this are many. They are many here in this country and around the world. Why? The gifts are given to verify the truth of Christ. Secondly, the gifts are given to edify the church of Christ. To edify the church of Christ. This is clear from our text. If we go just a little further down, the effect of all of these gifts and ministry in verse 15 of chapter 4, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that the gift of prophecy, the one who prophesies, speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. Many of us in this room have experienced personally the upbuilding effect of words of prophecy. Where our hearts have been discouraged, our faith has been weak. Our hands have been weak. Our, 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 our feet have felt lame. We felt like we were just barely surviving. And then through someone, God spoke a word of encouragement to us. A prophetic word that was just the right word at just the right time for just the right person. These gifts are meant to edify. 
My parents served as missionaries in Japan for 20 years back in the 50s and 60s, and they loved to tell stories. And I remember these stories to this day. They loved to tell stories of how God provided for them and cared for them. And one of the stories they told was about the time when my dad was walking on cardboard. Have I ever told you this story before? Walking on cardboard. Is there anyone in this room who has any idea what walking on cardboard is? Walking on cardboard is when you are so poor that you have one pair of shoes, and that pair of shoes is worn through on the bottom. They're holes. And you cut out a piece of cardboard, the shape of the shoe. You slide it in, and you walk on cardboard. Dad was walking on cardboard back in the 1950s, in the country of Japan, far out in the countryside. And he was having an open-air meeting to preach the gospel to some students. And, and he arrived at the location only to find out that on a day that had been filled with torrential rains, the, the area, the entire area in front of the school building had been dug up for some kind of street work and other, other construction, and it was just this deep mud hole. And he had no choice but to walk through the mud hole to get into the school to preach the gospel to those children. And it absolutely ruined his shoes. There, was no, there wasn't enough cardboard uh, to fix the shoes that time. So he went home a shoeless man. And he gets home and he walks in the house and my dear mom says to him, "Hun, you get, you get a package on the dining room table. And so he goes into the dining room table and he finds his package. It's about that wide and it's about that long and it's about that high. And he opens up the package and inside is a pair of shoes. And there's a note with the shoes that says this, Dear Pastor Bill, the Lord told me six months ago to send you a pair of shoes, but I forgot. He told me again this morning, and I'm not going to forget. And those shoes arrived on the other side of the world in the day when there was not overnight or two-night delivery, more like six-month delivery. They landed in my dad's hands. Why? Because a form of the prophetic ministry had functioned in that woman's heart. She sensed the Spirit impressing her to do something. Combining that gift with a gift of generosity and a gift of mercy and kindness. And what was the effect of that? Was the effect of that my dad dancing a jig of joy because he now had shoes. It's hard to imagine my dad dancing a jig. But no, he did rejoice in the shoes. But for the rest of his days, he rejoiced in his God. For the rest of his days, his soul was edified, his spirit was edified, his faith was edified because of the spiritual gift functioning in that woman's life. The spiritual gifts are given to verify the truth of Christ, to edify the church of Christ, and to glorify the name of Christ. 
here in Ephesians, what's it all about in verse 13? What's the goal of all this? That we would be united in faith. Faith in whom? Jesus. That we would be united in a full knowledge of whom? Jesus. That we would come to maturity in the fullness of the stature of the measure of whom? Christ. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's not about a gift fest. It's not about seeing which of us has the more magnificent gifts or sensational abilities. It's not about coming together and saying, whoa, look what's happening here. No, it's about Christ. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will glorify me. The work of the Spirit is not to call attention to Himself. The work of the Spirit is not to entertain us. The work of the Spirit is not to do sensational things so that we get our thrills. The work of the Spirit is to do things in such a way that we will see that Jesus is Lord and that we will worship Him and glorify Him and honor Him for being the great God that He is. Lord over disease. Lord Lord over demons, Lord over dialects, Lord over depression, Lord over everything. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 12 that when spiritual gifts function, the result will be Jesus, people saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. As I close feeling like I could go on for another hour here, but I better not. The, the sleep of death will set in here. Um, but as I close, I, I, I want to finish up with this. I've told many of the, you this already, but I, I, I kind of want this retold and recorded at this moment in our early life as a church. Um, back in the fall of 2010, I visited Covenant Fellowship Church from our church out in New Jersey and was at the Thrive Conference preaching there. And following the conference, those with prophetic giftings began to mingle around all the people that were there. And Ramona Doyle, who almost all of you know, uh, Ramona walked up to me. I wasn't really a part of much of what was going on, but she walked up to me and she said to me, Tim, uh, I just have this sense, a strong impression that the direction of your ministry is going to take a very different course, that there's going to be a surprising, radical change in your life and in your ministry. That was counter to all the circumstances and all the indicators of the time. We had been in the same church for almost 30 years. God was blessing and God was working and doing wonderful things. And yet, within a year, let me back up, it was so counter to the circumstances that in my mind, I didn't say this to our dear sister Ramona, but I said it inside. I said, Ramona, that was a miss. Uh, uh, that just doesn't fit me. Within a year, the circumstances of our life had radically changed. New direction in ministry. Um, circumstances in the church 
requiring for financial lots of reasons, uh, requiring that we transition it to somewhere else, someone else, and then I figure out by God's leading where he wanted me next. Radical change. When the decision was made for us to leave the church in Tom's River, um, just about to the very day, well, I'll say it this way, a week later, I was talking to a dear friend of mine, some of you will know him, Jared Mellinger is his name, and uh, talking to Jared about other things unrelated to this, and he, he says, well, Tim, how's it going in the church? How's it going? And I said, well, everything's changing. I have no idea what's next. I don't know where God is leading us. And so he listened for a bit, and he said, well, how would you like to come here to Covenant? I said, well, I'd love to come to Covenant. Wanted a year of rest and just kind of replenish and see where the Lord led us. He said, I think I have a place for you to live. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, last week, which would have been almost to the day of when the decision was made, last week a couple in the church called us saying that they'd been trying to rent one of their apartments and the Lord had been telling them that they were to leave this apartment open because somebody was going to need it. And when they found out about us, they went the extra mile and said, they're going to need it for free. And so here we were without job, without livelihood, without much of anything. And God provided us a place to live, making provision even before we knew we needed it. And just to add some real icing on the cake there, that apartment is in Havertown. That apartment is 3.2 miles from here. So God not only knew we needed a place to live, he knew what he was going to do four years later and that we would need a place to live here. And we're still in that apartment and likely will be there until the day we drop. Right. So. Now, why are we so happy in all this? Because we got a place to live? Yeah, it's great to get a place to live. Much more so. Because we have a God who sees. And we have a God who cares. And we have a God who provides. And sometimes he does it in ways that you just know it's God. How can we not long for these things among us? That, that he would verify the truth of Christ. That he would edify the church of Christ. That he would glorify the name of Christ through spiritual gifts among us. Friends, let's pray. Let's keep praying. Knock. Seek. Ask. Keep on doing it. For will not the Father generously give his spirit to those who ask. Let us earnestly desire, not just be open, but cautious. Oh, let us be eager and pursuing and discerning. For there are many counterfeits out there. But may God give us grace to live in the good of the age of the spirit in this place, in this community, in these lives for his glory. Father, come Come, come.
Bless us, O Lord, with power. In Jesus' name. As we close, I just want to echo what, what Tim said. Let's not just be open and cautious, but open and seeking. And just a real practical way we can do that um, is in our community groups. Um, they meet this week. 